Five scores! Rick Bud. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bud. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 66 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? All good, Michael. Really good. Just a little bit of golf this morning. You know, our, my grandson's here for a little while longer. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to hanging out with him and my son. And then, uh, you know, he's going to have a bath here probably and then drive home. So it's all good. Fantastic. Well, and we go, of course, we've got the Jays that uh, keeping things interesting for us. But mm-hmm. today, our guest today was taken by the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1980 amateur draft, would enjoy 15-year pro career stops in Hartford, Minnesota. Known as a TARDIS worker, great penalty killer, defensive defensive uh, specialist. Welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show, Stuart Gavin. Stuart, thanks for joining us first up, and how's it going? Uh Everything is good. I'm uh, I'm healthy. I actually played hockey this morning, which was fantastic. Uh, after an 18 month layoff from the pandemic, uh, it's been good to get back out on the blades and play a game. Well, great. I played too. Actually, well, Squid, you're the only one that hasn't played here. I played today too. Well, I, I'll be playing Sunday, and I'm I, I already got a massage book for Monday because because <laughs> I know I'm going to be sore. <laughs> Hey, well, Stuart, uh, uh, how are you? Well, how, up in eighteen months, how are you spending your time? Are you still involved in the financial uh, world? I am. I have my own yeah. business, yeah. and I've been uh, doing that really um, about a year after my uh, exit from the game. Did a year in the management role at Dallas Stars, and wasn't quite passionate about it. So, uh, I always had an interest in finance and helping people. So, I moved back to the Moved back to Toronto after my career. That would have been um, ending about 80 or uh, 96. And uh, that was started my journey in financial services. And and uh, um, I've been doing that. And tomorrow I'm supposed to close on the sale of my business. So it's uh, there's lots going on. Oh, really? So now, okay. So, oh, for- so, you, so you're, oh, hanging, you're hanging up a computer. <laughs> no, I'm just... Uh, Taking the ownership hat off and being an employee um, now, which will be a little bit different. Now, did, I was on Bay oh, Street okay. for 40 years. Did a, uh, an investment counselor buy you or a high net wealth operation? You no, know, um, a, a U.S. public company um, oh. is acquiring us. So maybe tell the listeners kind of what you do, how, how you actually help on, on the financial world as an advisor. Sure. So maybe even I could step back um, and sure. this might add and some of your listeners might enjoy this, but you know, Rick and I were just talking about this recently, you know, and, and for those that have uh, young children, you know, boys or girls, you know, you, you're a teenager, you think you know it all and you get turned 20 and especially in, in my life and, and Rick's in the hockey world, you get a little bit of money, but relative to uh, maybe your parents and, and to your, your uh, friends, it's, it's quite a bit of money and it's, it's brought to you fairly quickly. And, you your desire and passion is to play hockey and now you have to figure out what do you do with this extra money and what do you have to what do you know about taxes no word of a lie i remember signing with the with the leafs 
and I walked out on um, Wood Street with my parents and I rip open my signing bonus check and I'd signed for 20 grand and, and I'd already thought, okay, I'm going to buy a Jeep. I'm going to give my parents some money. I want to get a stereo and I have five grand left open. And I ripped open this check and it said $12,500. And I went and said, where's my money? Where's my 20 grand? Like I expected to get a check for 20 grand. And my mom nonchalantly said, oh, that's taxes. But I, I'm 20 years old. I have, didn't have a clue what taxes were. I never paid any taxes. I made a little money, not enough to ever pay any taxes. But that was kind of one of the introductions in, into, you know, one being a professional athlete, but even how do you manage the business of being a professional athlete and the lack of knowledge. And, and so, uh, you know, it was really through my career, taking an interest in my own affairs. And uh, we have a lot of downtime as a player. So you could, I took courses through correspondence and, and learned uh, um, a little bit just to help my own affairs, did the securities course one summer. Sadly, with the lease, we had long, lots of time off in the summer. So I tried to use that to my benefit. Plus, I was also thinking, shit, if I can't play for the Leafs, I'm going to be out of a job and I got to get work somewhere. So I, yeah. I better do something. So I was always trying to learn and get outside skills to, to think what my next crew would be. Anyway, so I started there um, um, along the way on the business side. You know, even the representation, I think, didn't think was that good. So I did my own contracts and got involved as a player rep and fighting for player rights and and that was kind of part of my career. And I think because of my involvement in the business side of the game, let alone playing when I went to Dallas um, and I was forced out, or not Dallas, to Minnesota. At the end of my career, I was forced out with an injury and Bob Gainey hired me in uh, a management role at the Dallas Stars the first year there in Dallas. So, um, and that's when salaries were starting to really take off. Um, I was with Minnesota, we went to a cup final in 91. Um, our team payroll was, just over $6 million. 10 years later, Dallas wins a cup. Their payroll is close to 70 million. So a tenfold increase you know, in 10 years. And as anyone in business or, you know, that's really tough when your expenses go up that high, but hey, the league survived obviously. And, 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 uh, and then some, but uh, I did that for a year working with Dallas, but I, my main goal was to try to be there to get my name on a cup. That was my, my uh, desire and my goal but when I got into it I thought I'm not uh, I'm not as passionate about the management side as I needed to be um, I also thought I should leave and exit that position to gain get gather more skill sets to if I did go back I could uh, ultimately be a GM of a team but when I left um, I got involved in financial services I found tax planning to be a huge benefit for a lot of players plus sellers are starting to take off yeah um, one one of my teammates the previous year was making uh, three hundred thousand. He signs with the Leaf the Leafs, and his first offer was two million. He goes, "What should I do?" I had a great problem to have. <laughs> um, and and it was the guys had now way more money, and they couldn't believe yeah. it. And and it's like, what do they knew, and what do they need to do? And I knew from my own personal experience, you can save guys money, but what they needed and most people need is just down the basics understand what you spend and have a budget and and then have set targets of what you need to save and uh and so 
not unlike the players have these training programs, we've done the same thing on the financial side to give them the tools and equip them to make good decisions so they can maximize their financial success during their career. And now you've, you're well, branching you know, out into the U.S. Pardon me? You're going into the U.S. now, like uh, under the umbrella of a U.S. operation? No, our um, from way back, um, um, our firm, because the uh, most of the athletes in the U.S. were duly licensed and registered, we're, we, we're uh, licensed uh, as RIAs and registered investment advisors under the SEC banner in the U.S. I have an office in Tampa and and do do quite a bit of work most of the work is done out of toronto or just about all of it's done out of toronto but i've been down at um air canada center now scotia bank arena for the last 15 years above the rink and that's been my office and um so we're licensed in canada and the us and can and specialize with dealing with uh, cross-border affairs and, and in the athlete market well Stu, i i you know what it's it's good that you brought that up because i mean i, I if i go back to when i started in you know, I, I think probably the best thing I, I remember, and, and no offense to Dave Snowden, who was a, the accountant for Bill Waters at the time, who was my agent. But, you know, I'd get a call and he'd say, Rick, you're spending too much. And I'd say, yeah, okay, Dave. And then I, you know, I'd cut back a little bit. And, you know, two months later, I'd get another call, Rick, you're spending too much. And I, when I look back at it, you know, now I, I think, you know, what, what if he had just given me a budget? You know, sit down with us and say, what do you guys need? What What are you spending? What do you, you know, what are your monthly things that you need to spend money on? And say, okay, well, here's your, here's going to be your budget. And the rest of it, we're going to put away and we're going to, you know, we're going to try and make a little bit of money. And the worst case scenario, we're not going to lose it. But that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, you finish your career. And you're right. I make great money compared to the normal people compared to like I, my last few years, I probably made more than my father made his whole life, but we didn't have the tools to figure out what the heck to do with that money. And when I was done playing, I had very little left. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of, you know, I, I like what you're doing. And I think, it, I think it's very necessary for the players, even today, regardless of how much money they're making. I mean, you've got to take care of that. Well, for sure, people get into, I don't care, hockey players, everyone gets into a lifestyle that they get accustomed to. And of course, um, if you're driving a nicer car versus an old beater, you get into that nice car, it's like, geez, I want to keep doing that. And I think some of the athletes, because the money is there, they can live um, quite nicely, um, but they may not, it may not be sustainable. So it's to have that balance and to, you know, put money away now so they can have a, 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 a hopefully the same quality of life or better later on. And um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a skill set, but again, it's just training. It's like as an athlete, you're given a training program or the guys particularly nowadays have it. It's very regimented in health and their diet and their sleep and, you know, and all these support people to, for them to optimize their, their their uh, career success and so we just do we do the same thing but i try to make it simple all the guys that we work with and um i say there's three numbers that are important and you know it's not your course you score your body fat or your vertical jump or the number on your back you know <laughs> but to me what matters and it'll matter more after your career and that is how much do you spend each month again most people know what they earn it's public lease and salaries but so they know what they earn, but how much do you actually spend each month? 
So we go through and be quite rigorous and say, this is what you're spending and, and this is your budget. The second number is in that 12 month season, how much should you save? So what's the minimum savings target? And then the third number is how much do you have to save throughout your career that you never have to work? And so we can do all this work, but those, if they need three, three numbers, here's your budget and this is what you can spend. And we'll send them monthly cash flow reports that are you over and under, you know, set at the start of the year, you know, how much should you save at the end of the year? Rather than, you know, when I played and, and Rick and a lot of us would be, oh, I ended up with 25 grand at the end of my account. We, I don't know if that was good, if I, it was a good, if I saved enough, if I didn't save enough, it was just a byproduct of what was left after a season. And you went on a nice vacation at the end of the year, there was maybe a little bit less than that, but we really didn't know and for sure we didn't know how much we needed to maintain our lifestyle when our career was done so you know um and it's amazing especially with escrow and deferral and and how much is in um to just be a member of the club how expensive it is uh, to to play and a lot of the fans and people don't don't know uh, aren't aware of it but we had this illustration that, that we show people a, a four million dollar player after escrow, taxes, FICA, um, PA dues, and, um, and maybe uh, you know some uh, trainer trainer um, expenses, their their salary at four million goes to like just under one point five million to spend, and then you know you forget agent fees, but they're three or four or five percent. Yeah. You know that's two hundred grand right there. You've got disability insurance. You've got all these other costs. So the first thing you know, they've spent. They're four millions down to one and a half or less. They've got 300 grand of costs that they haven't even bought a hot dog or had a coffee or, or put gas in the car. And then it's fixed costs and lifestyle costs. And again, people get into lifestyle. Ricky knows this. I remember my first time playing for the Leafs. I just got called up. We went to practice. I'm this rookie. And they go, hey, we're going for lunch. I'm like, great. Love to go. I'm out with Sit and, and you know, the, you know, the, I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm with my heroes and idols and, we go to lunch up off of Young Street and a great lunch. I ordered the my pork chop special for 12 bucks or whatever it was. And uh, the bill comes and someone says, okay, it's uh, 40 bucks each. 40 bucks, I only had the pork chop special, whatever it was, it's 12 bucks. <laughs> hey rookie, shut up, throw your money in, you know? But, <laughs> you know, and I joke with the guys now, when, you, when you're, you know, whatever team you're on, you know, um, Matthews or the guys after the game, they're not going to Chipotle or McDonald's. They're going out to somewhere nice and shit, the bottle of wine might be 500 bucks after the game, let alone um, whatever it's going to cost for the, 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 uh, for the dinner. So you want to be there and it gets expensive because they live in a, a different world than most of us. And, and even, you know, they have to represent themselves, the, their team, you know, their family, the, their, the, you know, so even what you wear, your dress, you can't go in with ripped clothes and looking shoddy. You have to, you know, be dressed professionally and, you know, it's all yeah. part of your image and brand and you're representing your team and your city and the, and the fans that support you. So I think it's really important that you, you know, all that takes time and money and, uh, and resources to give yourself the, the best success and to, and to represent the brand and the team, your the team and the league you're in. Well, I can tell you that. Yeah, I think you're right, Stewie. I think you're right because I spent too much money on clothes when I was <laughs> getting cus custom suits and everything, and it was like, 
you know, they said, you know, you got to dress well. You're a captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You got to look good. Uh, you know, and I always felt look good, feel good, play good. And, uh, you know, so I go to Marty's Custom Clothing in, uh, up in Yorkville, and I'm spending, oh, God, I don't even know how much it was. It was probably about 1500 to 2000 per suit. It was just, like, it was ridiculous. I didn't need to spend that kind of money back then. But, you, you look know, again, good. I, I didn't have... I didn't have someone to steer me in the right direction, grab me by the throat when I was 19 years old and say, listen, kid. And, and you know, I, I thought I was capable of probably saving about $40,000 per year average. And I had a guy that from uh, that handles my, my finances now to figure it out. And he said, when you were 52, if you had done that, you would have had $3.9 million at 52 years old. And I said, oh, well, thanks a lot for that. You know, like... <laughs> well, let me tell you guys something. After uh, my career on Bay Street, uh, these guys are supposed to be smart and they're supposed to all know what we're doing. But like anything, like a hockey player or any kind of athlete, it can end on an injury. One shift, you can go out and not come back. You can get cut. It can it can end tomorrow. 1987 could come along in the financial world. 2007 and eight can come along in the financial world and the world goes into a collapse. And that thought process that it's never going to end, well, guess what? It can. Yeah. The party does come to an end real quick. And all of a sudden you're looking at, and these guys making these big incomes, they aren't there anymore. Yeah. You know, you know in our, mm -hmm. I work for one of the most powerful firms on Bay Street, and our stock is trading at $25, and it went down to three over that two-year period. And we were they were sort of the Goldman Sachs of Canada. And where our stock went down the exact same amount as Goldman Sachs during that period, and nothing you could do about it. So... Even the smart guys are get it wrong sometimes. So what you do is a terrific <laughs> thing. And um, just on that, so we'll, we'll watch and congratulations on that. Uh, well done. I was going to say also another thing that's uh, very been close to you, and I run into you all the time at Leaf Alumni Box. I thought, that, that, I thought that's where you were going to say your office was, like squid. <laughs> the Leaf Alumni Association, you've been involved for years. You've been on the board. But I like it. And maybe one of the things that I found out, I talked to Kevin McGuire one time, he, and I'm very familiar with him. You guys did lots of work with me, a lot of charity endeavors I did at my place and stuff with Deb and I. One of the things you guys do, a few of the things that Kevin is telling me you guys do, and I had no idea you guys were even involved. Like you were helping with, um, uh, you know, Can Fund, one of the Olympic fundraisers. And all these things you guys sponsored, maybe give the listeners a little bit of some of the stuff that the NHL alumni, the LEAF alumni in particular, does for the community. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think a big thing um, um, that we do, and I know we do, is uh, we engage our membership to go back out in the community and represent the brand, the Leaf brand. And um, you know, today the current players are they're time constrained, and they they're you know they're uh, they they get out, but there's not enough of them, and there's a, a big demand to um, for di to attend different events and support different uh, causes. And they're all worthy. So we can we can engage our uh, alumni to go out and again represent the brand, be in the community. I think uh, the nice thing with the alumni too is everyone might have that moment or time or their special player uh, where they they uh, have some significant event, and um, when they meet that person, you know, might be 20, 30 years ago. I'm quite honored that someone might remember an event or a game, or you played in this, or I was at the rink when this happened. Yep. And and they pull it out and it's uh very gratifying because you know for most of us your career is over and no one gives a shit like i mean you, you know like and five <laughs> years later they, they oh you played and 
but it's nice when you get back out in the community and people will acknowledge that you know your career and, and maybe that they enjoyed watching you play or respected you for the type of player you, you were but um so we can engage where there's just not enough on that with current players and uh and and uh which the guys enjoy and it it's a win-win um you know, uh, been involved with the uh, the military and uh, supporting um, uh, different camps, Camp uh, Maple Leaf up uh, um, just east of the east of Toronto, and a community for uh, families to go when, especially their mom or dad, or there's or uh, away in on um, in theater, and so uh, um, there's a there's a number of uh, very worthy causes, Sick Kids Hospital. Um, you know, uh, hockey in the neighborhood was uh, yeah. Hockey in the neighborhood was really good. I I had the opportunity to go out and and, and work with those kids in, in some of the low income areas of, of Toronto, and I I had a blast. I thought it was fantastic what we did, and we were able to give them sticks and and some hockey equipment, and and I thought that was one of the best ones that that I took part in. Anyway, yeah. And the other the other nice thing too is. Uh, you know the, the our alumni lounge you know and like because of our um corporate efforts and fundraising and partnerships we've been able to have a a really nice room as you know to one watch the games and we can get together and um you know just enjoy each other's camaraderie which was so so much a part of our existence when we played you played and competed the game in the game you love that but then the time when the game was over to spend with your teammates and the relationships you developed and you know um that was special so it's nice when you do get together and because you forget it but then someone will bring up hey remember this remember that story and it's just it's just like please it's uh and 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 of course we can all relate and um so that's been nice too to be able to have that uh, facility that guys can go to a game as we all know it's really expensive but to go in and see your former teammates and meet some of the other guys and cheer on the team and um it's that's been uh, a real benefit for um for the players well let's let's talk about how you got to that level so let's let's go back right back to being let's test your memory now because he will bring that sort of financial wizardry of yours back into your playing career so <laughs> for those out there listening he was born in ottawa played one game for the 67s but most of the people in toronto know that he played for the marley's stewie walk us through the that part of your career playing for the marley's coming to the city, playing in Toronto, all that kind of stuff, and playing at the gardens as a young kid? Well, growing up in Ottawa, my, uh, um, you know, Ottawa is a, a great city, but you leave to the big town of Toronto, and, you know, I just turned 17. Um, I remember getting dropped off on Jarvis Street, and back in the, you know, late 70s, Jarvis Street was uh, quite, that's uh, <laughs> a big staircase down there. Um, um, and hey, you're homesick, you know, you're, 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 I, I moved in with this lovely couple, but they were in, at the time they were retired in their mid sixties and it was a little, uh, house out in Mimico. And, um, um, the one thing I, I remember he loved his butter tarts and she used to make these mashed potatoes with, put Miracle Whip in them. I came in at 167 pounds and went home at Christmas, I think at 190 from butter tarts and <laughs> with mashed potatoes but um you know things like subway i've never been on a subway and go get down to practice but playing at maple leaf garden just seeing the building you're kind of in awe of it and the other nice thing and which is a real benefit 
we could get in and watch the Leafs play. Yeah. And and uh, so we'd get up in the in the top in the rafters and find these little places where you could hang out and watch the game. But you could study your craft and 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 watch the the pros and kind of uh, you know continue to dream of trying to be there one day. Um, hey, along the way, there's tons of stories about you know my time in the Marlies and and quite frankly, uh, I I question how I ever made it in light of the uh, the challenges, whether it be from coaching or from the abuse and um, and just the you know I, I can remember one time. Um, I can I, just a little few stories about, and this sure. happens with a lot of athletes, and people don't yep. see see it. But along the way, got some great great advice. But I'd broken my wrist playing in in a game, and I needed to get a new cast so I could have a playing cast. And so I told our our, our coach uh, that I needed to go, and he said, "Don't be late, you know, for practice the next day." I said, "Well, I got to see the doctor, and you know how they are, and it's a way out, you know, wherever." Uh, in the west end of the city at the hospital so i go get the plane cast on that's up at um it was up at jane and um jane and bluer and i mentioned that because i'm waiting the subway stop and lo and behold i see someone jump in front of a train and get smeared and killed and of course there's an emergency you can't get to practice now i'm late for practice i'm in shock but i don't know it because i just witnessed this tragic event and i and all i'm thinking is oh shit, i gotta get down to practice i don't i can't be late well by the time you get a bus, I have no money to take a cab. You know, you're just kind of, you're panicked, but in, in the stress. So I, I race down and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, 20 minutes late for practice. And the coach says, I told you, don't be late. You're not here. And I just thought at that point, I thought, you know what? I'm done. I was ready to quit. Like I, I literally started to walk out of the building and, you know, this is useless. This is my second year. And the team wasn't doing well. And it just, uh, the vision of what I thought would be was not. And, and I'm going out and just by chance, I run into George Armstrong, who had coached me the year before. And Chief knew me well enough. And so I leave and I turn and he calls me back. And he knew uh, there was something was going on. I just, it wasn't right. And he said, what's going on? I told him, like, just see someone kill themselves in, the, in a, train, train, a train event. I get down, the coach doesn't want me on the ice. Like I've got a broken wrist, you know, it's like, you know, the team sucks. Uh, and, and, and it was more about, I didn't care for the coach and just didn't see eye to eye. And that's normal. A lot of times you don't, but yeah, we're just, you know, um, and uh, he, he gave me a great lesson or some, um, and I shared this to quite a few people that wanted to listen, but he said, don't ever look at that person or that coach as the main obstacle. If, if he, or you know, if it was a, a woman, whoever, whoever that is, if they become the wall and you never achieve your goals, you're going to feel really bad about yourself. So your challenge and your opportunity is to find a way to go either over them, under them, around them, but make sure they're just an obstacle, and because you'll get lots of them in your in your journey to, to achieving your goal. And I took it from when George Armstrong tells me I'm motivated and it made perfect sense. I thought I'm not going to let this guy ruin my dream and my goal of of, of playing in the NHL and and he had won at that moment because I was really ready to pack it in so I came back the next day um and uh I wanted to play obviously and and the coach said no you're not playing because you missed practice well Jim Gregory Kate got involved told the coach said you're not coaching um our statistician coached the game I got to play and there's one other guy that was being suspended and he got to play 
And quite frankly, at the end of the game, here I'm 18 years old, and I had to have a an F, a, a, a fight with my coach. And I'm I'm very respectful, and but I had to fight for myself, and I lost respect for for him, or at least that from a, a few little things um, that had happened. And I knew that my mom, thankfully, had signed a no trade, no movement clause in junior. And I had all the education paid for if I didn't turn pro. So I was, and I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and we had it out. So why don't you do this, 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 and that. And we're normally I just shut up and, and, you know, listen to your coach. But uh, it was interesting, but you know, those stories in people, most people would never know and the trials and tribulations to get there and the obstacles, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was just, uh, I, I sit back and think, how do you ever do it? And, and uh, but I was lucky because there were there were a lot of great people and great support around me and and you just all I knew was to work hard and uh, fortunately enough you know I got drafted by the Leafs in 1980 and got the got to play and at least realized my goal. I remember wearing the jersey for the first time in the first game. I thought, hey, at least I've done it. If I did nothing else, I got one game. I got to wear right. it. I got my name on the back, the jersey, and it was fantastic and hang out guys with squid and play and we had you know what we didn't make a lot of money we had a, a lot of fun squid we had a lot of fun for sure and uh you know and stewie i, I mean stewie was one of our better players as far as like he, well he was probably our best penalty killer by far um but one thing i gotta ask you though Stu, is i mean i don't think anybody in the league had more breakaways in the <laughs> game than you did <laughs> But couldn't put the puck in the net. And I, I, I know you stayed out after practice sometimes and everything, but, like, did that frustrate you uh, well, that you couldn't put it in as, as often as you would have liked? Because you really did have a lot of breakaways. And I mean clear-cut breakaways. And a lot of them were shorthanded because you yeah. were such a great penalty killer. And uh, I always felt bad for you because of that because everybody would, you know, talk about it. And they said, well, you know what? Leave him alone. Like obviously, he 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 just can't score, and he he's working at it. But you know what? It it, it is what it is. You, you know what? It's a it's a great question, and um, it was very frustrating because when I was younger, of course, you, you know you you win the scoring titles in your league in your league, and when you're you know playing, and it wasn't. I don't even think I don't even remember power play. You just got to play lots, and you're good, and you could you know you you end up getting the results and I remember coming to junior hockey and and again my first year George Armstrong said unless you got a great chance go and dump the puck in and chase it and or if you don't have possession just go to the hash mark pick up your guy and bring and and follow him back so that was kind of the start of the defensive side because here is George George Armstrong your coach and this icon lead captain you know he tells me to do something I'm going to do it and I and I'm probably too coachable i just do it do exactly what i do what they say so i but i and i enjoyed that role um and i went yeah right i wasn't uh, this gifted goal scorer like uh, like rick and other guys but um it was frustrating because i did get a lot of breakaways my forte was my skating and my speed and and uh, i think and uh but no one a couple guys would say try this move but i really didn't know i remember billy delego you know, um, saying, hey, when he shot the puck, and he would pull it in towards him and then shoot it. But, you know, I never really analyzed it. And quite frankly, you know, um, there were no coaches. The players would help me. Pat Hickey, like, 
you know, working on your backhand in tight and in the crease, getting the puck up, but no one really gave me, um, said, you should just do this later on, not later on, but, um, uh, one player did say, just work on one move, come in and try to be a, a one move guy, but you, you get in and you're so much of life and, and in sport is confidence. And quite frankly, I didn't have the confidence so I could get there. And then it was just but embarrassing because I thought, I don't want to break away. I'll try to pass or let someone else break <laughs> for odds. And it was just, you know, the, uh, you know, but, but uh, it did, it did bother me because you wanted to score, you want to help your team and, um, and you're getting the chances. Um, but again, you didn't really have the, um, some of the tools and maybe the instruction and, and, and Hey, video and whatever, and even, uh, other goalies and where they might be weak. And I look at some of the videotapes of, uh, when we played, it's like, geez, why couldn't I have scored more? But, but <laughs> it was for sure. Well, maybe you should have listened to chief. And when you had a breakaway, <laughs> just dump it in and go to the <laughs> or, yeah. or chase it. <laughs> Well, I was going to say to you, Stewie, now, you know, now along the lines of your confidence, and you're saying you were lacking a little bit of your confidence, it took a few years, you were up and down with the, the minor league team, and you, you finally stuck. And we ask this question to players a lot of the times, was there a certain moment, a game, a situation, or a comment from somebody or anywhere that made you go home and think, finally, I made it, or were you just too focused to try and stay in the lineup? Um the uh, early years in the early 80s because um from top to bottom there was, no one instilled any confidence in anyone and it was like no. they tried to find fault with everyone um and it didn't matter how hard you worked there was no respect i think or a, a lack of respect for for just the effort that players put wow. in and and um you know, so you just try to do your best. I, my dad always said hard work pays off and I would try to work hard, but it, it really didn't seem to pay off at least initially. And it really wasn't until my, probably my fourth or fifth year, I look around and go into camp because every year you're thinking, okay, am I going to make the team? Who's going to be there? There's all the press clippings with new young hot rookies or guys are coming in and I'm thinking, you know what? I can outskate them. I'm going to outwork you. And you know, if, if you just let the chips fall, hopefully I think I could make the team. Um, and, um, you know, and, or they were going to be really good, you know, in, the, in my mind. So, um, but it, it, it took four or five years yeah. to think, you know what, I belong, I can compete. I can skate with these guys. I'm as strong as them. Like, you know, just that confidence level. And then when I, when I went to Hartford, um, the coaching, coaching was there and actually, um, I, I've got, I got some, had some great advice. My former spouse was an Olympic um, feel lucky player and helped on the visualization and, and, and kind of, uh, how you approach the, the game, um, mentally and things like, yeah, how are you going to score if you don't get shots? And if I've gone through a period and I didn't shoot the puck, then I know I'm not going to score. So I, I try to look back and think I, every shift I want to try to shoot the puck. So it wasn't even about scoring. I just want to get a shot on net. Yeah. But so changed my attitude and, and then through that, then I had more confidence and, and I would be, um, I was able to sync nice with the, the line mates that I had, but it was just a um, maturity, uh, elevated confidence, some other inputs that helped me have better results. And then that just feeds on itself. But it did take for the first few years. I can remember the Leafs at every practice, you're thinking, oh, you know, am I going to get sent down uh, the next day or after each game? 
and they just put intimidate you and scare you. Hey, you better do this or you're going to be gone. Or I can remember this verbatim. If you can't play here, you basically can't play in the league. Well, <laughs> like that's <laughs> not, what a bad attitude, you know, like if you can't play for the least you're, you're no one else wants you, you know? So it's like, but. well, I was going to say to both you guys, in fairness to you both and to all the guys, we get a lot of laughs out of players doing now on, on this very subject. Your yeah. timing couldn't have been worse to arrive at the Maple Leafs. Now, Squid yeah. at least got to score 50 goals a couple of times, three times. The coaches, you must have gone through five or six coaches in your period. Their parking spots were fastened with Velcro because yeah. they never knew if they're going to be there the next day, never mind the players. So, I mean, and as a, and I mean, the way Boris Salming on, Boris Salming would say, He'd come to the rink and you'd see a little kafuff outside the dressing room and he'd be like, what's going on in Circusville today? Yeah. So here's the question for you. I yeah. mean, first off, it must have been very deflating for you as a player to go into that environment every day. And you're talking about it already. Then you move to Hartford. All of a sudden, things change for you. So those distractions, they must have mentally really wore on you. And when you relieved that, you all of a sudden became the player you did. Yeah. Well, a couple little stories that people might like. I remember because of that pressure and the, and the frustration of not doing well again, I said, my dad said, just work hard and you'll get, you know, it'll pay off. And I remember um, two little stories. One night we, um, we beat, I don't know, the Islanders. We beat a team which we shouldn't beat. And it was so good. I thought, great, I'm going to go out tonight because most after every, most games you get your ass kicked. I just want to go home and sulk. And I don't want to, I don't want to go out anywhere because some would be, uh, you guys suck, or you guys are this, you guys are that. So I don't want to, like, you know, because um, I took it personally. And so we win, and I think, good, I'm going to go. And I go out, and the guys, oh, you guys are idiots, or you guys, uh, I hate you guys. And I go, what? We won. It was, you know, we should be celebrating. No, I bet on you guys to lose. I couldn't believe you won. <laughs> so I thought, geez, I'm, I'm damned if you do, damned if you don't. But And then um, – Another story you talk about the, on the coaching side, and Rick would for sure remember this. Um, I think it was uh, Mike Nicolak, but uh, was was there was me the head coach, but Dan Maloney and we were having again a really tough time. We had this guy come in on a non-game day. He must have spent six hours talking about positive thinking, oh. being being, and he had these little balls. And I remember the balls because you 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 lift one ball and it would hit them, and one ball would go out. And then you put two balls in and two would go out. So basically the, the theory was, you know, what you put in, you get out. And and he had this whole positive thing. You got to, you know, believe in each other and this and that. Well, we come out of there all lovey-dovey, all positive in each other. We're going to do great. And the next night we played, I think, the Islanders. We got smoked 8 nothing. Well, Dan Maloney, and for anyone that knows him, he had a short fuse, man, there was no positivity after that game and for the next week because he just ripped on everyone and threw those balls or whatever that that uh, any positive slogan shit you know in the garbage and started back the berating but uh it was it, hey it was tough there's a lot of demand obviously in toronto i think a rick you know wearing the c and the guys that were the the leaders um you know i could be a third fourth line guy and um but but we for me and everyone, they they wore it. We took a lot of pride in what we do and pride in the team and love being a Leaf. And um, we just wanted to win. And also because we knew the city was starved for success or for the most part. And we yeah. always thought, and I always thought, 
wouldn't it be great if we could ever turn it around? This city would be fantastic to live in and play in if you had success. And, and um, you know, for my time, it wasn't there. And then going to Hartford, you know, was a, a bright light because there wasn't the pressure and people didn't, uh, people enjoyed the game, but they went to the game to have fun and not necessarily to sit there and kind of uh, think that they're an expert on hockey, but um, and we and we had a we did have a really good team there. Very underrated, some great great players, and a lot of guys that are obviously still very involved in the game at, on a coaching level. But um, mm -hmm. it was nice. Um, but there, it was um, an eye opener too because you know um, there was no ice bags in our training room. Um, um, you know there were there was no training room. They didn't even have a stationary bike. You know it was just like <laughs> you know um, I'm just. I remember uh, uh, Claude LaRose, great guy, one of our coaches, he pulls me aside the first first day in Hartford. He goes, uh, hey, Stu, um, you know, we, we really had like, glad that you're here. And he said, uh, we want you to kill penalties and this and that. And uh, and I said, so, Rosie, how do you, what's the system? Do you, do you rotate or do you just keep a tight box? And, uh, you know, are you forced down low? And he looks at me and you can see him think, he thinks for a bit, he goes, uh, uh. Uh, we do it just like Toronto. And I think <laughs> we didn't have a system in Toronto. <laughs> so I knew they had no system. It was just like Jack Evans was a coach and he just basically said, go play. When you don't have the puck, work to get it. We had the same practice every day for three years. Every day. <laughs> you know, so it was it was really interesting because I got to experience Toronto and the different characters and the environment and the, and, the, and the challenges of playing in the city and also the benefits when you did do well. And then you go to a different um, city and theme and, and the fans were different and, the, you know, uh, and you meet and, and you understand what's the strengths and the challenges in different communities and how different organizations treat their players. So it was, it was, I, I probably my best personal success in Hartford. Yeah, Stewie, Stewie, I remember, <laughs> I remember that very clearly in Toronto and they brought uh, John something or other was his name. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but anyway, I, I remember him going through all these, we, we were in a classroom setting and yeah. he would be trying to tell us how positive we should be and everything. And I remember the one year we were probably about 40 points behind the division leaders and he told us we could win the Stanley Cup. And I said... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, we're not going to get in the goddamn playoffs. How are we going to win the Stanley Cup? But meanwhile, he's telling us, you can do whatever you want. You can win the Stanley Cup and everything. And we're all sitting there looking at him like, you know, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> it was like, but you know what? It, it, uh, it is what it is. We, it was really dysfunctional. The, yeah. the seven years I was there and, and you know, there was – it was very difficult. I, I agree with you, Stewie. And uh, like even myself, who had, you know, success individually, it, it was very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a tough thing to go through, for sure. I would, I would leave at the end of the season in Toronto. And I have some property up in the Ottawa Valley, given that we're from um, Ottawa. So uh, my, up near my parents' cottage, and I ended up buying a, a farm up there. And literally, I'd go up, and for a month, I'd go in the bush, and just cut wood and firewood and and split it and just uh you know just get away because back then all well, those cell phones were just starting to come out but it, as soon as I got north of Bancroft there was no signal so no one could reach me no one could contact me 
and I wasn't, I didn't have to flip on the TV. And so Leafs sucked, Leafs lost last, last night or, you know, just, just <laughs> get away from it all. And, and so that was a, a nice mental break. Oh, well, I was going to say to you now, we always get the players now. Any, any crazy stories that, uh, I, uh, well, I, I, let me reword that. Your buddies obviously would always ask you, Toronto and everybody in Maple Leaf Gardens, everybody has this sort of visualized thought of what it would be like to walk in the gardens, put that Maple Leaf crest on. Just you're walking almost on clouds. You're in the heaven. You're you're in the iconic spot of all hockey. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, it's the most dysfunctional group of misfits running this organization and the stuff that was going on. Like any stories come to mind, you just shake your head and you just think, this is professional hockey. Like Uncle Hal is an example. Like I, the story I love telling all the time that's good told us they couldn't, you guys couldn't get in the dressing room one day because he was getting a rub down or he was getting his feet done by the trainer. So everybody had to wait until he was finished. <laughs> Yeah, I mean there were there were uh, there were so many. I mean they're just characters, and um, um, there there were so many events. I just remember um, one of my junior buddies, you know, uh, they played hockey with, and I think I, my perception was I go to the Leafs, iconic brand, you know, original six. Everything is going to be done the best. You know, they're going to have the best trainers, the best coaches, the best have everything. And uh, and then you get and then I get there. And the reality was, you know, there was an old, old boys club and some people were there because they're friends of, of someone. And, um, um, you know, it's just a, a, a different perception, you know, even from your train from the training and the, you know, equipment. And um, I just remember one thing was kind of ironic and. Um, I'm not a smoker and never have been, but, uh, and there weren't, there weren't many stalls in the bathroom, but then there were quite a few guys that smoked in the team. And they, so in between the intermission, they'd go into the bathrooms, be smoking and the guys that need to go to the bathroom didn't have anywhere to go. So it was like this fight that hurry up and get out of there where they're smoking. And just, you know, you're an athlete, you're trying to get your breath and get some, get, uh, you know, um, energized and you go in and it's like, uh, you know, mind you, everyone in the building was smoking. It was a, gray haze up in the in the blues yeah. and, and further but just a different um different environment but hey you know what that said i wouldn't trade it for the world there was uh perfect great sorry. people so uh, learned a lot sorry Stu, but i was one of those guys but that's okay i'm sorry <laughs> I, I... <laughs> no it was, it was it was it was good and um you know my my parents always said you know dream big and and you know so that whole positive thing was was always there but i think my message and my story, and it's probably repeated by other people. It, it's, uh, um, I was honored and, and grateful to, to achieve my goal, but it, uh, when I step, look back, it was, there were a lot, a lot of obstacles and challenges. And sometimes you think, how the hell did you do it? Because, uh, you just kept doing it. And, um, and fortunately I was lucky enough to achieve it, but you know, in junior hockey, 85, 90% of those guys on my team that didn't do it. And they had, they went through the same stuff, you know, which is too bad, but, um, but well, I was going to say to you, Stu, how about this? So one of the obstacles you didn't have any, well, maybe it did, but this was an obstacle you weren't going to get by in 1990, 91 with Minnesota guy, but I Lemieux was a little bit of an obstacle. You're running at the Stanley cup. Talk about that year. I mean, there's, that's the ultimate for you outside of winning. And by the way, yeah. your team at the beginning of the year, just for you, all the betters out there, you mentioned before, you guys were plus 3,000 to win the cup that year. But for those who don't bet, 
a hundred dollar bet would have got you three thousand if you bet on the Minnesota North Stars yeah. to win the cup that year. They got to the final. Well, um, it's uh, to me that year and that team epitomized um, the definition of team and teamwork. Um, we uh, yeah we had a, a Cinderella run at, at the end, but we just seemed to gel and that confidence and belief that we could compete. And we had some young guys that were, you know, coming into their own and getting better and better every game and every week. And some good veterans. Um, you know, I know we just made the playoffs as the 16th seed and played Chicago. Uh, who is that good-looking guy over there? Is that you, Squidly? Um, <laughs> Um, we we played I Chicago the first is, yeah. round and, <laughs> and and beat them and they had battled it with St. Louis because St. Louis and Chicago or, or uh, Chicago St. Louis one and two so we beat Chicago the first round and then we played St. Louis the second round which was Hull and Oates and and they had a you know a great year and a great team and um, beat Edmonton the third round who had won the cup that previous year and then lined up against. Um, um, Pitt and Lemieux and some of the young young guys there. Yager is a young wow. man, but yeah. I, what what I remember was Bob Gainey pulling us together and basically uh, the game preparation and in each series and he had had it kind of detailed and and I would say to a man we committed to that strategy. So Chicago because Keenan was coaching and we knew back then it was obviously all all hockey was pretty aggressive and dirty um and retaliatory so Ganey said no retali no retaliatory penalties and um and even with uh, eddie belfour we had kind of a bit of a book that he was maybe weak so all our practices we said he would say shoot high shoot for the crossbar everything's high you know and, and even make that comment so if he is reading the paper so there's a little bit of strategies the, the mental mental warfare we we're trying to get into certain players heads but as a team we said we're going to initiate, but not retaliate. So I don't care if a guy spit in my face. I want going to go back at him. I'm, you know, or I'm, I'm going to try to hit him and, and, you know, go at him, but let him retaliate. So the strategy worked because teams weren't as disciplined and certain players weren't, and then they would be called and our power play worked and we beat better teams just because we, as a team, were better. They were probably better individually, but, uh, as a team, we uh, and our and our system and strategy played out, and really it was in the finals, which I thought we had a, a pretty good chance. Two things I think happened: one, we let Lemieux play; uh, we didn't uh, isolate him. The previous series, uh, particularly with Hull and Oates, and then even Messier, like Neil Brought and myself and Gaetan Duchesne would be assigned to go against the the top line. So the great thing is a role player; you got to play lots in the playoffs because they match lines. And we shut them down and then our guys would um, win or, or or get the goals and the power play get the goals in the finals we just it was just like okay we're there now let's let's just play so that was a, a bit of different strategy but the other thing was um and and i think it was really important we win the first game we lose the second one so we're tied we win the third game back in minnesota and now we're thinking, okay, if we win the fourth game, now we're back uh, in for the fifth to, to for the, get the cup. Now, some of the partners and spouses are thinking, well, I want to go for the fifth game. We haven't even won the fourth game yet. But, um, <laughs> but what I 
the organization had done a great job of kind of keeping the players focused um, uh, outside of the media. We, we stayed at a hotel at home, so we didn't have the distraction of being in the community. Um, and Bob said, don't look at the newspaper clippings. Don't start to read how good you are. Don't read anything. And again, um, I think a lot of us didn't do that, maybe some of us, but we, we really stuck to the game plan. But in the finals, I remember uh, um, we had it all with the players and great communication, but I, I think they omitted some of the family members. So now, you know, some of them are trying to make plans to fly into Pittsburgh for game five for the cup final or to get the cup. And, and the players are being distracted to make arrangements for their spouse. And, and the team didn't do that. And, and so there's a bit of a disconnect. And, you know, um, what I've seen is anyone that, is really successful is really focused and I don't care what if it's in business and as an athlete if you are laser focused you know you can have great results if you get a little bit distracted um, you know the the end result may be uh, not as good and I think we had a, a few guys who were a little bit distracted and that impacted their on ice performance and um, you know and the worst result was you dream of playing and win the Stanley Cup and hoisting it, whether it be playing in your driveway, taking shots in the games or wherever. And I never wants to be the hero too, but you get to the final in the last game, we lose eight, nothing in our barn. I remember it's like, you were so, I wouldn't say deflated, just frustrated because, and you still wanted to, you're down five, nothing going into the third and think, okay, we got to win it. And then it's 10 minutes to go and it's now six or seven, nothing. It's just like, <laughs> And you didn't know you wanted to sucker punch someone, chop them over the head, just your frustration, <laughs> just do something. But then you're like a poor sport and, you know, I, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it with any dignity to get your butt kicked like that, especially in your own barn. And uh, and so, quite frankly, it was the highlight of my career, but also the biggest disappointment because you get there, you yeah. taste what it's like, how enjoyable it was. Everyone focused in on really what we play and do all year and then you don't achieve it it was a huge disappointment and and no one cares about you know runner-ups it's just it's it's all or nothing and uh <laughs> um so for years and years and years quite frankly i had dreams and i would be making comebacks and i'm like 40 or 45 years old and i'm thinking about coming back to play to try to win a cup and that was a you know um that was the one goal that i had that i wanted to do and um, and obviously didn't do it, but it was it was sure fun to, to be there and compete in that. Uh, I just wish I had more of them. It's great. Well, it's, it's funny because uh, I remember my father, we, we, we were never allowed to stay up and watch all the games. But one of the things he did, at least with me anyway, sometimes my brother, but mostly every single year he woke me up when they gave up the Stanley Cup. And, and I got to agree with you, Stu, that, I mean, when you go into the National Hockey League, that's your goal. You're there to win a Stanley Cup. And it's very, very disheartening when you finish a 13-year a, a career and you never even got by the second round. It's very, very frustrating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can do a lot of things individually, but they don't compare to winning as a team and winning a Stanley Cup as a team. There's, nothing comes close to, to winning a championship uh, with a bunch of guys that you go to war with basically uh, day in and day out for an entire season. Yeah. And you, and you see that with the alumni, with the guys that have won cups and, 
sadly, there's fewer and fewer around because the, you know, the 67 team was the last one. But, you know, in when we're around at different alumni events, that camaraderie, that connection, that bond they have because they, they have a very special bond mm -hmm. of achieving that, that ultimate goal. And, and it, it took me literally years and years um, when I, and especially my business dealing with NHL players and guys would go to the finals. Um, and when I'd see them lose, I could relate to them. I could not relate to the, the joy of winning, but I, and I just felt so bad for them. And it wasn't until um, I had two clients that were lost in pit in Philly one year when um, I think it was uh Vander, or not Vander Kane, um, Kane uh, scored the goal that he, he's the winner in mm -hmm. Philly. And it was like, it was in, but the play kept going, but That's he was right. dancing around celebrating, but he knew it was in. The game was over, the series was done. And unfortunately, uh, those guys I work with, they got traded, ended up in LA and winning a cup the next year. And quite frankly, after that, I felt so bad for them that he didn't get it. And then when they won, I was so happy that they won the race that it was. From there, I can still I can watch it, but um, yeah. Again, my I'm grateful and delighted to have had that career, um, and uh, it just that confidence. I just reinforce it. If you if you apply yourself and work hard, good things can happen, and that's what I've tried to do in hockey and in my life. Well, we just want to say we we could talk to you for hours, Stu. We got lots of stuff we could go through, but. You know, time is of essence. We want to thank you for joining us. But let me just leave leave you with this note here. And for the listeners out there, if you haven't gotten the message by now that the Maple Leafs were a little bit poorly run by management back in maybe the 80s, try this one on for a side. Our friend Stewie Gavin, he was trained in 1985 for Chris Kostopoulos. Now, the irony in his trade is, now you've heard us all talk about, now here he was in the Stanley Cup Finals, taking his team there, and he's one of the key defensive specialists checking the top players in the National Hockey League for the finals. The Toronto Maple Leafs traded him because they wanted to shore up defensively. <laughs> so this is how things were operating. Now, Squid's making faces. He's going, what else is near? Well, you know, it's time with management that year. When I got traded, um, um, Jerry McNamara let me know that I was traded. I said, well, who did I get traded for? I said, uh, um, you know, I, I don't, he said, I can't tell you right now. I said, oh, okay. And then, um, you know, a few, I don't know, half an hour later, 15 minutes later, I get a phone call from some guy and, uh, and it's like, uh, hi, Jerry, you know, like, um, um, it's Chris Kostopoulos. He, he, his GM or someone gave him the wrong number. They gave him, someone gave out my number instead of the, <laughs> instead of the leaf number. So I found out who I got traded for by the guy that called, that thought he was calling the team or the GM. He ended up with my number, but, uh, um, and then, and actually, uh, it was just, you know, it's just funny how things happen and, um, you know, but, uh, it, all right, that's the, it goes. stories and good memories and and nowadays how the game's played and how refined it is and the 18 coaches and video mm -hmm. coaches and all these it, it's it's changed so much yeah the guys make a lot more money but um i said they don't have as much fun but it, it's uh <laughs> and, and the game is sure different uh, <laughs> i love watching the game now the skill set uh, is so so good the kid the guys are so good um but uh yeah. You know, those days were crazy, tough, hard hockey, but um, they're fun to, most of them were fun to be in until, until you had to go into Philly and some of these other goon shows and 
Yeah. Life, but it was all good. But thanks, great guys. It was great to join you in your show. Yeah, great. Thanks for joining us, Stewie. Best of luck. Thanks, Stu. Congratulations Thanks. again on the sale. Thanks.